0: all right let's do this how are you what the fuckers what the fuck buddies what the fucksters what the fuck nicks what's happening i'm mark Marin. this is my podcast wtf welcome to it if you're new here uh just hang out you'll get the hang of it blues freaks this is your day maybe buddy guy is on the show today yeah i talked to buddy guy and I'll talk to you about talking to Buddy Guy and why it was important to me to talk to Buddy Guy and the blues in general, maybe some other stuff. But before I get into anything, I should tell you that this show was pre-recorded more than usual, longer back than usual. I'm recording this. It doesn't matter the day, but it's a few days ago from when you're listening to this. And the only reason I say that is because a couple of reasons. Well, it had to be done. Because my producer, Brendan, is going to be on vacation this week, and I have a few days off this week. And we decided, why not to be free of this for a week? I'm not going anywhere. I was just in Texas. And again, I want to thank the people of Dallas, Houston, and Austin, Texas, for really being tremendous audiences. and, And all the people that worked at the venues, the venues were great. The Paramount in Austin, the Majestic in Dallas. And uh, the I think it's the Cullen over at the uh, Wortham Center in Houston. Really, I mean, we just it was just like a perfect few days. Really was. So hopefully, here here's why I tell you that this is recorded a few days in advance because if something major happens in the world that might require me addressing it, it will not be heard about here because this was recorded before it happened. So hopefully, nothing horrible has happened. I, th- on the outside chance something amazing happened i'm very excited about it even though i don't know what it is also what i'm hoping for is that uh, with this week i got it home to reassess to reconfigure to recontextualize uh to reclaim <laughs> my my being hopefully when i when you hear from me monday i will have uh, gotten off nicotine lozenges why why are you asking Why are you asking why, Mark? Why, why, Mark? Why would you get off them? I guess some of you would think, like, why? of course you should get off them. It can't be good. That's a good reason. I'm just saturated. I am a, a nicotine sponge. I just, the kind of the arc of having the compulsion to do things that feel good without stopping has gotten me into a sort of a steady, slightly nauseous state. And I went to have a physical... Physical was okay. Um, some things were okay. Some things were, I'm not sure what that is. So I figure why not clear this, just clean the slate. Let's get down to to, to ground zero of Mark's biology. Can we do that? I don't know what that entails really. Obviously I have to eat, but I'm going to eat clean. I'm thinking about maybe no protein powders. I'm thinking about maybe no caffeine Definitely no nicotine and just, you know, basic shit, clean, no, not many carbs. This is, it might be boring to you, but I got to, I got to see what's up. I'm just curious. Cause you know, you spend all this time being healthy and then it's sort of like, I feel like I should be healthier than that on the page. And then you realize I'm getting old. How, How much longer do I have? And what am I really aspiring to? I don't know. But hopefully when you when you come back here or after the weekend, I will have gotten off of them. I I can't guarantee it. See, I'm already I'm already, you know, I'm I'm supposed to be off them tomorrow and I'm already like finding that space. I don't know. Maybe tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll kick. Tomorrow I'll kick. Buddy Guy's here. Buddy Guy. Look, man. Yeah, the world is burning. And sometimes it's hard to know what to do. And I don't know if the blues make you feel better. I don't know what they do, but they sort of... Either you've got the heart for them or you don't. Blues music. Now, I got to be honest with you. I don't listen to a lot of new blues. I don't listen to a lot of... uh, I don't listen to a lot of blues made after maybe, I don't know, there's a few guitar players I've listened to, but not compulsively like I listened to some of the old guys. And I don't know why, I, I, I don't know why I've got the heart for it. I love to play blues, guitar. I love it. It makes me feel better than almost anything. I should do it more. I love it more than I like listening to blues music to be honest with you at this point in my life because to get into the real blues into the deep blues before the before the sort of like what would you call them Uh, uh, the the noodling appropriators you know to get into the earlier evolution of them you know a couple maybe a generation from removed or generation past the source point of Africa generation or two you know, to really get that groove. But I I got hip to it when I was a little kid for some reason. You know, I was played that music by a guitar teacher. I had that Robert Johnson record, the crackly one. But there was a couple of people like Muddy Waters, you know, specifically. And, uh, you know, another way in, oddly, was... uh, some of the early Stone stuff. And then I got hip to uh, some chess recordings, Sonny Boy Williamson, JB Lenore. You know, I had some Lightning records, I had the Muddy records, I had uh, Mississippi John Hurt record when I was a kid. And, you know, and it just never went away, my, my hunger for hearing some of the older guys, you know, like Skip James, you know, his sound, the way he played those notes. Everyone played those notes so different, and so many of them were the same notes. It fucking it didn't fascinate me, it moved me. You know, the the falsetto blue sound of Robert Johnson or or Skip, you know, just like it kind of just went in and it moves me. It it taps me into some sort of universal frequency that is elevating. It's both melancholic and celebratory. And then like I, you know, as I got older you know, I, I listened to, uh, I was re- in high school, I was real into uh, Stevie Ray's brother Jimmy and the fabulous Thunderbirds. And I got into that fast moving shit, that Texas Jump Blues. Did a little Johnny Winter at certain points, early Eric Clapton. Yeah, and this is all always unfolding. When I was in college, I saw uh, Big Mama Thornton towards the end of her life, I saw Willie Dixon towards the end of his life, I saw John Hammond. Junior at the Tucson Blues Society with about forty other people, completely channel Robert Johnson into Hellhounds on My Trail, and it just blew me away. Then I got into other people doing those Johnson songs, like the Stones, like Love in Vain, even the Gun Club with Preaching the Blues. I just kind of tracked it. I don't really love bar blues. Liked Can Heat, that guy. I think his name's Dave Wilson was a real channeler. There were certain channels. You know, some of the white dudes that dug that shit and got into it and found their own voice in it. I was moved by them. Buddy Guy's early stuff. To hear Buddy Guy kind of, you know, find a place on his guitar that no one had found before. You know, know, there's a lot of cats that found it. Albert King, Freddie King, BB King, John Lee Hooker, Lightning Hopkins. Get into that groove. Listen to that fucking Hooker and Heat album. Canned Heat and John Lee Hooker. That's some crazy shit. Yeah, that's where it meets up. Listen to those Peter Green records. Peter Green, that Chicago record that he did with Fleetwood Mac back in Otis Spann and a couple other cats. I don't know. Paul Butterfield's first record. What, what am I, going to just list records? But there was a Chicago thing, Muddy. Muddy kind of, oh, Muddy and Wolf. Get those Wolf records. Fuck man. But Buddy Guy always had a sound that you could identify. You know, I could hear it when he was playing backup with other people. Just the way he handled it. Got that Stratocaster going. I pulled mine out when after I talked to Buddy. Albert Collins, another guy, not telecaster, man. Searing. I'm not gonna sit here and list him. It's just if the shit goes into you and moves you, you got the thing. And this conversation might be fun for some of you if you have the thing. I didn't know where it was gonna go and Buddy's been talking a long time and he's been around a long time, but there's a couple of nuggets in this conversation about certain people, little moments with B.B. King, John Lee Hooker, uh, Earl Hooker, the slide guitar player who I didn't know about that were really exciting for me. It was exciting for me to meet him. And I saw him at the Hollywood Bowl uh, the night that I talked to him. With uh, Charlie Muscle White, who I've talked to in here, real deal. Jimmy Vaughn and his band and buddy, and they got to play. They got to play. They can't stop playing. Buddy's eighty-three years old, and he can still fucking. He's got a thing, man. It's a weirdest thing, you know, when you play guitar. But it's it's not a matter of being able to do anything fast or being able to do it like anybody else. You know, you got these you got these licks. You're gonna make them your own. You're gonna, you know, stack them. You're gonna turn them inside out. But buddy, I, I just owned them. These are the same notes, a lot of them. But how are you gonna bend them? How are you gonna, how are you gonna pull them? How are you gonna let them s- sustain and sing? I don't know, man. There's a lot of personality to a lot of the great players, and yeah, Hubert Sumlin, who played for Wolf. But anyway. It was a great privilege to talk to Buddy and I'm glad he came by because the music does speak to me and I like to play it and I like to hear stories about the old days. So this is me talking to Buddy Guy. He's currently on tour around the country and you can see all his tour dates at BuddyGuy.net. His most recent album is The Blues Is Alive and Well, one of many, many records. And uh, he's 83, man, and he just jumped up these stairs and sat down, and we started talking. I uh, I, I kind of felt bad because, you know, I, I do uh, comedy and stuff myself. Mm-hmm. And after shows, people come up to me and they want to get their pictures taken.
1: Oh, tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, the funny thing is...
0: I've never done it to anybody before, and I was on a plane with you, and you didn't—you wouldn't have known. And uh, you know, I saw you, and I'm like, "Yeah, he's on my plane." I saw you taking off, and one of your guys actually—I think knows my show. I don't remember which guy, but he gave me a polka dot pick. But uh, I, you know, and I, I get off the plane, I'm a baggage claim. I say, if I don't go get a picture with that guy, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna I, I'm gonna be mad at myself.
1: Well, that would have been easy, cause I, that was my guitar tech, cause he's the one got the pics. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: But I ran up to you, you know, and I got and I and I said, can I? I'm, I said what everyone says. Hey, I, hey, man, I want to. I, I don't usually do this, you know. I don't yeah, want to be an yeah. asshole, but uh.
1: <laughs> no, I don't. You know, you know, you know. I don't got used to that now, and it made it even. <laughs> you know, you said to have a, 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 a just a camera. Now, yeah. for everybody who got a phone, got a camera in it. You know, yeah. and And I tell people, and I have people laughing. I say every time I see somebody with a cell phone, I just just say cheese. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know,
0: there's that moment where you do it after shows. Oh, yeah. And you're tired, and maybe you're not looking. Like, I I, I always say that there's about 100 people that got pictures of me looking tired with them.
1: (laughs) Oh, oh, man, I know. (laughs) You know, I can give you a funny one. A lady came into my club in Chicago. And I took about a hundred and something, and she and I had my son standing <laughs> beside me, and yeah. I made him print out a a, 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 a piece of paper on it, and say no more, no more photograph. Mm-hmm. And she came up, she said, I'm from Australia. Will you please take a picture with me? I say, Well, okay. <laughs> and I let her take it. And she went away, and about 20 minutes later, she came back. She said, could I please have another one? I said, if you only tell me what happened to the first one. She said, well, it made me look too fat. I said, what you think the camera saw?
0: <laughs> that was it. You didn't do another one. <laughs>
1: you, you did. Yeah, yeah I did. Oh man, you know, cause but it they, was... they got their way of of, yeah. of of figuring out how to get around whatever you're yeah. trying to get out of. You
0: know. Oh yeah, they come back, or they don't know how to use the phone. or It takes no, five minutes. For the, you know,
1: Sometimes it takes longer than that. And you're
0: just standing there waiting, holding oh, a stranger. Are you? Sure, sure. <laughs> so wait, you're uh, where are you playing? Are you playing tonight? No, tomorrow night. We're at at the Hollywood Bowl. Oh man, that's mm-hmm. exciting!
1: Yeah, you know, finally, you know, uh, better late than never. You know, I used first to be, time? No, no, no. no. I, uh, I've been, you know, I, I guess if you can uh, on promoters, if you can, uh, I guess break even, let them make, let them make a little something, they'll call you back again. Because I, because I passed there many times in my my earlier younger days with the late Junior Wells, and I'd look at it and say, I'll never make it there. You yeah. Know? And all of a sudden, you go to sleep, you wake up, and you got eight Grammys. I've I've been there before. I made the eight Grammys, and yeah. they, they invited me back. Cause I remember once I was there with Bill Cosby, and I don't forgot who was on the show with me. He said, "Man." You know, you know, you got to follow, buddy, guy. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I don't look at it like that. I look at it like that. We are all entertainers, and uh, we just, you know, we've been. I, I try to be friends with everybody, not just entertainers. Yeah. And it's fun to me to be on the show with some other people because I didn't learn how to play my guitar or sing by the book. I learned it by listening to those guys who, shoulda. Got more recognition than I got, and they didn't live long enough to get it. Like the Muddy Waters, the Howling Wolves, I could go on and tell. Yeah,
0: I mean next week. I uh, I saw you. I I actually saw you do the second show at a place in Cambridge, Massachusetts, maybe early '80s with Junior. Yeah. Yeah, and it yes. was it was crazy, you know, because I remember there was one part of your show where you could play like other people. Like oh yeah, you, yeah. You, I still do that. You do, yeah. You want to hear yeah. Jimi Hendrix, and you just oh, yeah. do it, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, you know uh, the the way music is is now, it's. Uh, and thanks for having me. By the way, a lot of radio stations just don't play uh, the type of blues that was is the father of most music we have today, and. Uh, we used to talk about that before Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, the late B.B. King was always, always said, hey, man, if you outlive me, please don't let the blues die. Because that once was a music they call, uh R&B. We yeah. didn't have all the names we right. have now, you know, like a soul and mm-hmm. rock and roll and all that stuff, everything. And in the, in the earlier days with uh, the Louis Jordan. Yep. The early Ray Charles, the, uh, it was just R&B, yeah. you know, and now I don't know what it is, you know, they got us separated so much now until you say you come up and some of the British guys, my best friends, Yeah, and they would say, we're playing the same thing, you know, you all play, my youngest daughter's in the hip hop, she came to me one day and said, Daddy... We're just playing old music. We're doing it a different way. Same know? groove. Same groove. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I was listening. I I, I kind of you know went through all my stuff, uh, the records I have of yours, and I was listening to later because I was so happy when I got a, an original copy of uh, Hoodoo Man Blues.
1: Oh man. Yeah. Man Junior. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and I got I got that one, and then I had uh, I had one called Walking in the Woods, but that was a compilation. Walking
1: through the woods. Walking yeah. through the woods. That's one of some of my first stuff when I went into Chicago. Yeah uh great pianist player named Little Brother Montgomery. Yeah. I mean, the late Willie Dixon. They gave me that as soon as I got a chance to come into chess records.
0: Well, now, so you started, where'd you
1: start? I uh, I was born in Louisiana on a yeah. farm. I tell people each night from, from the stage, you know, I didn't know what running water was until I was about 17 years old. Really? Yeah, my parents were sharecroppers, and uh, I look at people right now, and when I say that from the stage, I can get a standing ovation. I say, uh, you know, if I went home in the evening when I was 10, 11 years old, I couldn't tell my mom and dad to go get me a piece of Kentucky Fried Chicken or I'd have to go catch the chicken. <laughs> and my mom would have to cook that chicken, man, you know, oh yeah. How old were you when you started playing the guitar? Well, my dad finally, you know, they weren't able to pay for a guitar on yeah. average. Acoustic guitar back then was 298 or three ninety, not hundreds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they had a guy they used to go get every Christmas, and he would come through the house, and they would have go from house to house and drink the gallon of wine and a quarter beer and no more until next Christmas, and he had a guitar, and the rest of the kids would go and have toys if they could afford to get one, yeah. but I would I would go pick his guitar. Yeah. Yeah, and my dad finally, uh, what do you call he was uh, a cross-cut saw if you know what that yeah, is. The yeah. King made yeah. a record by that, and he finally bought this guitar for $2. Do you remember what kind it was or what it was? Or it just—it was just a little acoustic guitar with a Nyl- round hole in it. I don't even know if the name of it. Nylon right? strings? No, it had the regular oh, yeah? strings on it, but yeah. after I broke the, the— matter of fact, it had about three strings on it when he got it. Yeah. And then I had to take my mom's uh uh what you call it pins and yeah. things like that and pl- splash it because I couldn't afford to buy other guitar uh,
0: strings so did you have music in the family what were you listening to Well yeah. well back then it yeah. was
1: it wasn't uh before BB King and t-bone and them, uh, Arthur Crudup and all of them it was all gospel yeah. It was voices. So you, you know. see it
0: once a week, or you go here. No, you couldn't it. see nothing. Yeah. Well, but I mean, at the see. church or anywhere. It
1: was, it was the church, but yeah. we didn't have no instruments in the right. church. It was all voices, yeah. you know. You and finally when the the, the five blind boys and. Uh, the Pilgrim Travelers and people like that and uh, ran the random record shop started coming out when we finally got a little battery radio, where if the rain yeah. and cloudy, you couldn't hear nothing, nowhere. Once in a while, you hear, and then you could hear <laughs> Lou Ross or somebody yeah, singing yeah, like right. that uh, uh the 5 blind yeah. voice. And then you would try to get the guitar to back you up with that uh, voice, is what yeah. you heard. And then out pops B.B. King and T-Bone him and then say, oh, oh, man, you know, you got something now. And <laughs> when they amplified the guitar, that was it.
0: T-Bone, it's like it's all T-Bone, isn't it?
1: Yes. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> yeah, B.B. just uh, made his little, uh, uh, they, they asked him questions about who he was listening to, and I was listening to mostly him. To B.B.? Yeah, well, yeah. I got a chance to hear uh, Arthur Crudup, him, Lightning Hopkins, yeah. and people like that, because Lightning was there, you know, playing mostly acoustic stuff himself before B.B. and uh, Les Paul amplified the guitars, yeah. because the guitar and the harmonica was obsolete before little Walter made juke with Muddy and uh, with the Chess record. They were, you'd go in the mu- music store and say, how much is the harmonica, you say, I don't know, man. Just give me anything to get it out the way, man.
0: <laughs> Until they amplified it, right? And you, you right. Play, did you play on Juke?
1: No, 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 no. I was still picking cotton when Juke oh, came. Really? Right. Oh, yeah.
0: So, yeah. like, because when I listen to T-Bone Walker, it's like, you know, all the licks are kind of in there, right? It's like oh, yeah. the Bible of licks.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because, T- uh, and B.B. would talk about it just uh, uh, years before he passed away, he say Jack Lainhart, or somebody like that, and then he said, "When I heard this guy T-Bone Walker, he said, just turn him around.'" Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: And so, oh, so they were a little older than you. So you're yeah. still listening. So by the time they electrified it and Chess was putting out records, you were you you were still in Louisiana,
1: still plowing the mule and picking cotton.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. And then when did you like, when did you start to you know taking it seriously? I mean, how, what you know, when did you get your electric guitar?
1: A stranger bought me my voice, real acoustic and uh-huh. it wasn't electric, but but you could go by what they call a pickup. Right and you could stick, stick it, in it on there. stick yeah. it on there yourself. So that was my first electric guitar head. And then the first stratocaster guy found out I could play a little what you uh, guitar slam hat came out then with things I used to do and yeah. and I learned how to play a little Jimmy Reed and stuff like that. And he yeah. said, Well, you know, if you play in my band I'll let you play my strat. Yeah. So I played that until I got able to go into Baton Rouge and uh, work at a service station. Then I finally bought a Les Paul Gibson.
0: So Les Paul was the first one. That I bought. That you bought. Uh-huh. But then you went back to Strats.
1: After I got to Chicago, yeah. they, strip, they ripped me off for the last ball, and a I, I lady had a club, and she had found out I could play pretty well, and she let and let me borrow the money. If I would play at her place, that was my first strat.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you pretty, you pretty much go between strats and these, like 335s?
1: I no, I, I, I don't think I ever had a 335, but I know Gibson was uh, offering me all those type of guitars, because, you know, I look at all guitars by the same, what made me. Fall in love with the Strat, I first saw guitar slim, and I yeah. didn't know what the hell that was. Yeah, And uh, I found out you could drop it yeah. and just scratch it, but <laughs> if you could drop one of the hollow bodies, uh, you know, That's acoustic. It. and uh, uh, Even if it rained on it, it would swell up and break. And right. I said, this is a solid piece of wood. Yeah, right. this is what I want. It can go, because slim was wild and crazy. And yeah. I, I made this comment on several interviews I had that I wanted to play like BB King, but I want to act like Guitar Slim. What
0: well, with the with the theatrics playing it with your teeth doing? Oh that? yeah, oh yeah, oh, you yeah. got that from Slim. He didn't.
1: No, Slim didn't play with his teeth. He was just wild with it. I came up with some of these ideas that uh, I better do something because I would never didn't ever think I was good enough to play as well as BB or T Bone or Slim. So I say I got to put a little something else in there and make somebody pay attention to me. <laughs>
0: it's funny you say that about the Strat because that's that's true. When I just read this book about the creation of the the solid body, solid body, yeah. And Leo Fender, I mean those the first tellies and the first Strats, they were built to, to to take a beating. To take a
1: beating, And yeah. And they were
0: built so anybody could fix them. Right. And it took it took years for Gibson to 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 not be so arrogant because they they didn't want to get into the electric guitar business because they thought they were pretty highfalutin they had the best guitars so they didn't know how to keep the quality you know that they would yeah. with their with their acoustic instruments with the electric and that's always why I, I always felt didn't you always feel like Gibson's were kind of the 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 fancy guitar oh yes yeah. oh yes
1: oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. like I, know, think I don't a lot deserve. of people like that yeah. did you know that uh, also not change the conversation when I first Sorry. went to England yeah. It was nineteen sixty-five before most of those guys got so big and famous. Do you know, from Jeff Beck to Eric Clapton to uh, Jimmy Page, they all came to me and say, "I didn't know Strat could play blues." Yeah, they had, uh, and when really? they said, "No," and, then they, and I got this in black and white, what they said is, you know, I'm like saying. What do you mean, man? He said, he said I thought that that, that was a country and western guitar man, and you couldn't play blues. But now. now, we saw you, we all got strapped. <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> so you're working in a filling station. You're playing some gigs in Baton Rouge, right? And then what what makes you decide to you know, to go to Chicago? Because you, you knew all those guys were there.
1: Well, you know you could see the the Louis Jordan. Yeah. Uh, the Ray Charles, but until you got 21, you couldn't see them until they come play in one of those places that they didn't they didn't sell booze. Right. And I found out if you go to Chicago before you got 21 years old, you wasn't going to be able to get in the club to see them, no way. Yeah. So as soon as I turned 21, which was July the 30th, 19, and 57, September of that year, in 57, I headed to Chicago not to be a, a guitar player, because I think I at that time I was saying, you got a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. So someone told me, say, if you go to Chicago, now you can watch the Muddies, yeah. the Wolf, the Walters, and uh, the Sonny Boys and all those people, and maybe you learn something. And all of a sudden I got stranded, got there and got stranded, and somebody found out I could play a few licks to Jimmy Reed and, and the guys who was playing behind Mud and all those people like that, and then uh, they said, uh, you got to hear this youngster. He can play a little bit like this, that, but he wild and crazy. And all the guitar players started coming to me, and the late Wayne Bennett, Matt Murphy. And I'm like saying, what am I doing to make y'all want not listen to me? And I'm trying to find out what you all are doing. I said, man, you kind of wire and people <laughs> like that, you know, because I would jump off the bar with no big blues clubs and I would just be walking down the bar, and everybody, most of the blues players back then were sitting in chairs. Mm. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Even with the electric guitars? uh Uh-huh, and Muddy and all of them were sitting in chairs and playing. I said, well, I can get some attention because I'm going to jump around on the stage, (laughs) which I saw guitar slam do that. Plus, I went there with a... You got the wireless now. They had a guitar guitar slam with this 100-foot lead wire from the guitar. yeah. And the first time I saw him, I said, "Ladies and gentlemen, guitar slam!" And all I saw—I'm mean, right at the stage, and you know, I didn't see no no guitar player, but I heard. It. Yeah, and yeah. he was coming in the door.
0: <laughs> he had a hundred-foot wire.
1: Yeah, <laughs> coming in the door with a red suit on, with a white hat, and I said, "My God, what is that?" <laughs> that's that's what, that's what I'm going to do. That's what that's what I'm going to do. but, so,
0: but like, uh, so you get there, and you, before you get, uh, you know, known. So the, all these guys were just playing at different places, like Wolf and Junior and Muddy, just, and- just
1: in a circle. Because mm-hmm. you never, they never did highly come out and tour like we do today. And right. in the South, you would BB King when he came out. You would have Big Joe Turner to fire a lot of doo-wop groups. Oh, they tour on a bus? No, yeah. no everything was in a station wagon then. You oh. couldn't. They wasn't making enough money to yeah. get a bus back. Cause the bus was. <laughs> uh, I wish you could get the bus at that price today. <laughs> But everybody was going around in the station wagon, all piled up in the station wagon, because B.B. King uh, told me that he once played 365 days, oh, but he man. never did leave his house. So that wasn't a big, long tour. You right, know, you could right. play Regional. 10 days in Louisiana, 10 days in Mississippi, which was joining, yeah. 10 days in Arkansas, which was joining. So it wasn't wasn't, wasn't a hard job as it is now we play California. As soon as I leave here, I got to be in. Uh, I think my next one is in Milwaukee.
0: And you and you and you fly or you on the bus?
1: Well, all over. I think mostly all over four or five I fly, but the bus I have to make it there, and you have to get you give the, the bus a chance to get there. So when now, but I wasn't always able to do that. Sure. So when I first started coming here, I was driving cross country myself in a van with the late Junior Wells, and I was the manager. I was. The, <laughs> the tour guide and everything, yeah. man, and still sometimes we didn't make enough money to make it from one gig to another. But what kept me going? I'm thinking BB King and Mother and them was doing wonders, and they come to me and say, "Hey, man, you ain't seen nothing yet." Yeah, you know, you know. BB King told me when I first met him, he said, "Sometimes I just make enough money to make it from one gig to the other."
0: And you and, and and what drives you is the the
1: love of the music. The love of music. Wasn't no such thing as love of money. Then it's just, you know, right now, when I see people smiling when I'm playing, I say, oh man, you know, if whatever problem you had, I made you forget it for five minutes anyway. You know, yeah. Because music I have a tendency to do that. Not just blues, all music. When you oh, see yeah. people smiling and clapping their hands. I say, if you had a problem, I made you, at least I made you forget it for a while. <laughs> that,
0: that's the power of the thing. I, you know, I've always, uh, you know, when I play, I play blues. I listen to a lot of different kinds of music, but there's really nothing more satisfying than playing.
1: Oh, man, uh, you, you know, I, that's, that's the joy of my life.
0: <laughs> yeah. Must, oh, yeah. You're lucky then because that's what you do. <laughs> well, I, you know, I
1: try to tell young kids now. I got uh, two sons waiting very late. They first they went into the blues until they got 21 and saw me yeah. play. And one of my sons said, oh, my God, I didn't <laughs> know you could play like that. <laughs> you? I, well, I never, Well, I never go home and say, "Yes, what your daddy did. Yeah, you know, yeah. I just let them make up their own mind. Yeah. And as soon as they got 21 years old, they got they old enough to come in the club. That's when he said,
0: "Oh my God!" Yeah, (laughs) he saw the whole show. (laughs) Oh yeah, and your brother played too. Yeah,
1: yeah. He passed away uh, be eleven years on the twentieth of this month. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: you did a few records with him.
1: Yeah, I I played on a couple of his records.
0: So when you get there and, and you're in Chicago, you know how how does it start to unfold? I guess like you know, I you know I can tell you're playing in the back of anything. Like I was in a record store just recently and they were playing some collection i think it was like coco taylor was on it it was some sort of i
1: made a his big record yeah with it was Wang like dang dang
0: right and it was yeah. a bunch of different artists on this one whole yeah. record and yeah. i'm like that's got to be buddy guy like i yeah. could hear it so i mean yeah. they must people must be able to identify it and you can't you know you, that's just something that comes from your heart so like you know you're insecure about like i got to learn something but other people are like nobody plays like that guy
1: well, you know that's what they were telling me. But you, <laughs> do you know I didn't realize that? Yeah, of course. Until
0: because um, had the
1: Well, the Claptons and the Beck and people come and say, "Man, you know, I heard a lick, and I had to find out who played it." Yeah, and it was you. <laughs> I'm like saying, "I didn't know I played that, man." You know, I just <laughs> yeah. went to, matter of fact, when they, when they would call me in for a session behind behind the Howling Wolf, Mud, whoever I played. Yeah. They would give you like twenty bucks just to make the record. Yeah. And I needed the twenty bucks. I wasn't even thinking about one day somebody gonna say that's Buddy Guy playing. Right. I'm like saying, give me my twenty bucks and I'll put it in there for you. know? <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, how did that? Like, how? What was it like with those guys? I mean, you. So you get to Chicago and you what you? It, it seems like you you made a few uh, singles.
1: Yeah. First, they, they with, didn't give uh, me much opportunity to play on my own. They, they knew I could play in it. They said which which I couldn't blame I mean, it. The chess people had made. I mean, the Mudders and Wolf, Walters and Sonny Boy had made chess what they were. So well, what was were, Cobra Records? Well, that's that went that phrase because the chess yeah, refused first me, right. And the yeah. first somebody who really helped me was the late Otis, Otis Rush, which passed away uh, what two, two years, not quite two years ago. Otis Rush. Otis Rush. Yeah,
0: and you and he brought you in over there to that smaller label. Yes, he did.
1: Him and the late Magic Sam. Oh,
0: Magic Sam. Yeah. Oh that that boogie riff that he does. Yeah, I'm, oh, man. I'm trying to, oh, yeah, I'm trying yeah. to figure it out.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know that 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 stuff he was doing was uh Junior Parker uh, uh, out of Texas at first, you know, uh uh-huh. called uh Feel Good. Right, Feel Good. And, yeah. yeah, uh-huh. And then Sam that Sam just could wear it out, you yeah. know. Yeah. Cause we used to play all day on Sunday, so from seven o'clock in the morning and on Monday. Yeah. That's when we had all the jobs still here in America. The steel mill was twenty-four-seven. So, in Chicago, you had the steel mill and you had a stockyard there, twenty-four-seven with a hundred thousand people. Yeah. And when I went there, I'm like, what the world is this? People playing music at seven o'clock in the morning, and you couldn't get in the club.
0: Oh, because that was the only day off.
1: Well, the shift, if the shift got off at uh, a certain time in the right, morning, he right, don't yeah. go away he, at night. He's yeah. back at work. Oh, right. So his time was, let's go party now. Right. Because tonight I'll be working when they play in the clubs. And we used to have to play all day on Monday and then Monday night.
2: Wow. And
1: I wondered how 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 could you stay up that long. And those guys, like Sonny Boy, Muddy Wolf, all of them was young, and they were drinking. Yeah. I'm like saying – when do you guys get so drunk you can't play? Yeah, And they went all day and all night. Man, I've never seen one of them fall down yet.
0: That's amazing.
1: I, I don't know what's right. Like. As a matter of fact, I used to ask them, what's their bill out of iron?
0: Yeah. <laughs> you never drank too much?
1: No, they taught me how to drink because, you know, when I first went there, I was too shy to sing, and sometimes I feel like that right now. Yeah. But they they used to call the schoolboy Scotch. They said, man, if you drank some of this, you 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 get out of that shyness. And uh, we, a drink don't cross my mind until I go to the stage. Then they have to give me a little sip or something to say, okay forget about it if you play something bad. This yeah. little, little, little drink of whiskey or cognac will make you forget about it and just and, do something else to make up for that mistake you and, made. Right, and it yeah. worked. Oh, so far it's doing pretty good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it never took over your life, which No, is no, no,
1: no, because I got it at my house now. You can come to my house and my housekeeper don't dust my whiskey bottle, which people give it to me. It's got fingerprints on it. Yeah. I don't never take a drink at home. Even when I was smoking, I never did smoke when I got to my house. Yeah.
0: No? Yeah. And it just because it, that that was the nighttime shit.
1: Well, it was the, the music thing, yeah. you know, and I was I'm, I, I right today as I speak to you, I'm still a little shy when I go come out on the stage because the public is one of the things that is hard to please all the time. Yeah, And sometimes people look at you and say, wait. Let me see what this is like. I heard about him, but then that's my that. Then when I get to Sip, that's when I say, I'm going to see if I win you tonight.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'll show you.
1: And sometime I do. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: So after you do this stuff at Cobra, so you're hanging around with those guys, with uh, Otis and uh, and and Magic Sam.
1: And the late hair was just singers. Yeah. Betty Everett, she was just a singer. You yeah. Know? And uh, then after the Cobra guy died, that's when Chess came back and – Found Otis and sent Otis to my house. Yeah. And that's when he signed both of us.
0: And what, now, it, did, was Ike Turner
1: there? No, the, the Cobra Records sent down to get Ike because, you know, Ike had a lot to do with BB early success.
2: Oh, he did? Oh, yeah. How so? I
1: didn't know. Well, he was the one, uh, 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 BB told me, just made some horn arrangement behind him in the early oh, days. Yeah. And then he, you know, that was before him and Tina Turner would be. Sure. He was just in the house and playing. I heard Tina talking about that, uh, how good I don't like him, but I, I just like what he's doing, you know, because he was uptight with that music, man. Well,
0: he did that. What was it, Rocket '88?
1: Or what? Was, yeah, Jack Abramson.
0: Yeah, 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 and he was on that. And then some people think that's the first rock and roll song.
1: Well, I heard that. I heard yeah. that too. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh.
0: And I think Ike played piano on it or something. Right? I don't know what he played, yeah. but
1: he was good at it, man, because he was in love with the guitar and one of the greatest slide guitar players that we all ever heard was Earl Hooker. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. And, and uh, he made some thing with Muddy because, yeah. you know, Muddy was a slide. Yeah. Yeah, because me and B talked the same thing. I tried it, but you a slide guitar, you got to be so precise. You know, you can't just jump around on the stage like right. I like to do. Right. Yeah, and move the guitar in different positions. You know, you, yeah. you, you, you that He's slide, you got to let it be Stand still. You got to be Elmo James and all those people like it's that. It's
0: an open tuning, too, I o- think.
1: Well, I don't know. Well... Uh, Back back then, but you know Derek Trucks and those mm. and Earl Hooker and yeah. they wasn't no open tuning.
0: They play straight, yeah. Oh
1: yeah, four forty.
0: I've talked to Derek. He's something else, man.
1: Oh man, yeah. If you hear him play that slide, I'm like saying, you, "That's not a slide you playing. It's your fingers." But it's. It's a sly. Yeah,
0: he's doing both. He's <laughs> it almost sounds <laughs> no. like Indian music. Oh,
1: man. You know, when I first heard that kid, I said, man, what did you do? You know? He's <laughs> just born yeah. with it. Yeah. And do you know he still asked me what was it like playing with Earl Hooker?
0: Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. What do you tell him?
1: I don't know because Hooker was so crazy, man. You know, a lot of the musicians, we just call him crazy because it looked like it was like, I don't care what I do. The first thing Earl Hooker did to me when I, when I first got to Chicago and got to know him was stole that 100-foot card from me because he figured it was something in the card that made me as <laughs> crazy as I was. And he was living with his mom. Yeah. So I knew I went to work that morning to play on a blue Monday morning. I couldn't find my card. Yeah. And I just went straight to his house, and his mom answered the door. He's asleep. I just busted the door. I said, I'm glad I swore my wire back. <laughs> and he stattered like John Lee Hooker a little bit. And I walked in the room. And he said, oh, I just want to see what you had in it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, well, okay, so you get over to Chess, and you got those
1: guys, Leonard and Phil. What were they like? Uh, they didn't think I had what, what uh, just before he died. I don't know if you read that or not, but he called me in after the British guy started exploring. Who, who, Phil or Leonard? No, no. Yeah. The British guy started turning those amplifiers up, and he was getting that, that British sound. Yeah. That's when he sent Willie Dixon to my house, said, go get Buddy and bring him down here. So I said, oh, my God, I ain't going to be able to make these little sessions with Muddy and Sonny Boy no more because they was calling me in.
0: You thought you were going to get fired or
1: what? Uh, well, it, uh, uh, I was going to, uh, they wasn't going to use me anymore uh-huh. uh, uh, for some reason. Right. That wasn't just me. Yeah. And when I got there, he had on a suit, and he, I had never been to his office.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And he said, come on in the office. I'm going to say, well— To myself, you can tell me now. They don't come back down here no more. (laughs) And I think it was, uh, might have been a cream record he put on for us. Yeah. And he said, listen to this. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like saying, what's this? Then he bent over and said, I want you to kick me. (laughs) Yeah. Did you? No, I felt (laughs) like I should. And he said, uh, because you've been trying to give us this. Ever since you come here, and we were too dumb to listen.
0: He said, this is how you were you, you were ahead yep. of the game, and they yep. just stuck you with sessions,
1: yeah, and then he told me he said now you can come in here and do whatever you want. Wow. And he didn't live too long after that. I think it was less than a year he passed away.
0: Well, that's kind of interesting that like it took that full circle stuff, you yeah, know, because like you know, a lot of people say the British guys are the ones that introduced <coughs> the music to the world. In a big way.
1: Yeah, right. And,
0: and and the thing was that you were opening that guitar up before them. Well, they
1: didn't, and- didn't like that. That's oh, yeah. what Little kept saying. Ain't nobody ready for that wide open noise and yeah. that feedback. Yeah. And it wasn't a lot of feedback. I just wanted that ring yeah. that uh, the British finally went beyond me with it. Well,
0: right, they were playing the same licks. They were playing your licks and and Freddie King's licks,
1: right, right, and
0: and uh, you know because it seemed like at the beginning, you know, Clapton was all Freddie and you, a lot of it, right, and yeah. he just cranked that Marshall up, cranked, it. yeah. I, apparently, on that first booze Breakers record, the guy didn't even know how to record him uh, because no. he refused to turn it
1: down, right, and that was the sound. Well, you know, uh, Hendrix had and saw me, too, and he was in New York, and it was booing him, but he was coming up with the special effects. Yeah. And when he got to London, they said, bring it home. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, everybody was saying, wait a minute, nobody want to hear that. You know, this smooth stuff, that muddy lightning and all of them is playing is doing very well, so how could you do better than that? But when the British struck it, they said, oh, my God, It, it is something better than that. Yeah. What's it's not better than that, but it's, it's, it's like the next, te- state, next well, step. Well, it's, it's like technology taking us now. Well, you know,
0: yeah, but yeah. also like doesn't it like you know because I've been uh, watching some uh, reading about jazz and listening to jazz that there was a point where you know where you had to straight up jazz and then those guys went out into space and then right. changed the whole thing. Oh so, yes,
1: oh yes, right.
0: So you know you're going to do that with the guitar too. You yeah. got to go to space, where you can just do the same old thing.
1: Well, every time I wake up and turn my radio on, I'm, look, I'm looking for something to say, oh, yeah, yeah, something new, you know. But, yeah. But technology has got a lot to do with music right now. And I tell people right now, some of the superstars, I will not call names, when you see them doing those big shows on television, it's lip singing. Oh, I sure. can't even follow myself on the lip no man. Way. I tried that. Because yeah. we had disc jockeys before the chess people died. Yeah. I used to call you in. We'd get a new record out. 45, and they would call you out, and they would be spinning the record, and yeah. they would have the mic on like right. this, and you could you it wasn't on, you was yeah. pretending you right. were singing, but sometimes they would like to click it on, to really, yeah, I said, man, don't turn that on, because I can't even follow my own self. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> but I imagine, like, when you're doing all those sessions, like, Little Walter was kind of a crazy guy, too, right?
1: Not just Walter, all of them was crazy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even get into that with a man, you know, choirs that kept... If I was talking to BB B. King like I'm talking to you yeah. now, that music would have been gone 20 minutes ago because right. all the conversation you had with Muddy, Walter Jr., BB, it always ended up the conversation is something about a woman. Yeah, yeah, they right. wouldn't. You start talking about of, BB. What about uh, uh, yeah. uh, uh Let Me Love You or whatever number I wanted to talk about. Right. It was always ease back into that woman, buddy. You remember that woman, this woman? Did? I said, man, I don't want to hear nothing about no woman. I want to hear something about <laughs> the your career and your playing so I can learn something. Yeah. I can't learn nothing about a woman.
0: <laughs> but you got to watch it. You, when you were playing with them, you got to watch all those. You got to watch Muddy, right? And you.
1: Well, I would used to try to steal in after yeah. they found out I could play, and they would never let that happen. If yeah. they saw me, it just like, come on to the stage. Yeah. And I'm like. I don't read music. I'm watching your fingers trying to steal a lick from you. Right. With B.B. or whoever. Right. You know, and they would never let me do that. They would. <laughs> who, no. would
0: who wouldn't? The, B.B. or any of uh,
1: B.B. Yeah. or any of them. You know, B.B. would do his show. But if he would look at me, because and, and, I used to would, would try to hire him, Yeah. Because I just wanted watch. to hear him. And if he spotted me, he said, don't you go nowhere. Come on up here. I want you to play. <laughs> and I several oh, time he took the guitar off and gave it to me. Yeah. Yeah. Because he didn't want you to steal? No, yeah. no. He just wanted me to, you know, that's the guy play your he love, man. It was all good, so good. It was like an adopted parent. Yeah. You know, and they were like saying, you can play. If somebody do not know you can play, I'm going to let them know you can play right now.
0: Yeah. Right. And that
1: helped me a lot.
0: It was like that story about uh, Clapton having Hendrix on. In, yeah. Uh, in I, did it. And that was <laughs> the end of it. That was <laughs> What about Hubert Sumlin? He was good. Right? Yeah. They, uh,
1: I heard this record yesterday morning too. I should have quit you and went to Mexico. They had been in the studio three days and Leonard heard this rhythm and they couldn't get it. And he said, call buddy. Yeah. And I got him about seven o'clock that morning because that's when they was making the old Leonard's and Mudders them session was like six, seven, five in the morning. Yeah. Because they wanted them to come straight from the, the bar.
2: Yeah. Oh, well while, they
1: while, while, they, while they were still half drunk because yeah, right. half of the time when you got there they had the two bottles of whiskey sitting on the keyboard. What was no electric keyboards then. It was the big piano, yeah. you know. And they had the whiskey sitting there. I want you to sound just like you did when you left the club <laughs> last night. So <laughs> when they called me, Willie Dixon came and got me and he said, Lenny, I want you to see, can you get, uh, hear this rhythm he want? And I said, I walked in there and within two cuts He said, now that's what you got. How come y'all can't do that? And everybody was profane then, you know. Yeah. Uh, Everybody was an MF. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. When I I went in there, I used to be sitting quiet trying to learn, but I still was doing what they asked me, and they said, hey, MF.
2: Yeah.
1: Turn your guitar up a little bit. I don't hear enough of you. And I'm like, I don't know who you're talking to, so I wouldn't look up. They would come out of the engineer room and punch me on my shoulder and say, I'm talking to you, MF. I said, oh, okay. (laughs) 6 weeks when I was there when they said hey Melf I say what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what
0: was the groove they were looking for was a Hubert groove?
1: No, it was something that, that, that Leonard could hum it to you and I could hear what he was doing. It was like bum, boom, boom, bum, bum, boom 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 like killing so, like,
0: uh, kill for. Yeah. Like, yeah, that riff. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, yeah. So as, as
1: soon as I heard it, I said yeah, let's that's how let the tape roll and, Yeah.
0: So you start recording on chess. And then you know, how does Delmark come into it? You started you were doing both, you were recording with Junior on Delmark and then no. your own stuff on
1: chess? No, well you know they were so slick then they didn't want you to, to record right. for nobody else. And if you notice that album what you talking about, Who don't do have my name right on it. Right, I know called, you... it's called Friendly Chap.
0: Oh, oh really?
1: <laughs> yeah, so that was me, what yeah. they call a friendly chap. <laughs> That's the that, that Chet, let Chet letting know that 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 was me playing on that.
0: You was trying. You were trying to hide it from them. No,
1: you had to hide it from them because they the could have a little contract on you. You know and that if they said you can't play for nobody but us, which they had all the rights. It's like baseball contracts. They didn't change it now. They can get rid of you, but you can't get rid of them. Of course,
0: yeah. yeah. And that 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 album's all you. It's all you and Junior.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. It was that early in the morning that I, I didn't know that they records. It was a record shop. And he just decided to catch us that morning and, and have me and Junior record something. That's
0: Bob Coaster?
1: Bob Coaster. Somebody yeah. just told me he just sold it, though. He don't he don't own it no more because somebody's chasing my son now. The one I told you about didn't know who I was until yeah. he was 21. And they're trying to get him to cut something with it.
0: Yeah, it was on, wait, I guess, yeah, I think they sold it recently, but back in the day, it was like on Grand Avenue or something? So. So,
1: uh, I forget why it was, yeah. but I think he moved once or twice yeah. since since that, since that Hoodoo main album. Well, you know what's
0: yeah. interesting about that? That record is so clean, you know? I mean, it's just so clean.
1: Well, you know, it was just, just straight things then, and you didn't have all the tech you got now. It was real to real. We used to make a record, and if they heard a beat in there, Yeah that they didn't lack like a lack, like, they would have to take a razor blade right. and cut that little piece out of the tape. Now they punch a button in it to cut it uh-huh. out again. Yeah,
0: and yeah. they can add it somewhere else. Uh-huh. And it. Yeah.
1: And because, you know, during the session back in those days, you would take a break and they'd be playing something and see do they need to play it again. You yeah. could tell us yourself. Sometime I'd be in the studio now and i could use the bathroom and come back and say, all right, we're ready to go again. Who's that? Oh, yeah. that's you. That's you. <laughs> You that's, you, <laughs> that's what you just did. You know, that's just how much technology and got involved into music and whatever else you do now with well, tech. You, well,
0: you kind of mix it up, you know, because like on that record and on on the, some of the earlier chess records, the sound was like, you know, straight strat sound. You yeah. know, it was real clean. Yeah.
1: And you can't hardly get that no more.
0: Yeah, uh, it, right. very few people play like that. I, Robert Cray played like that. Right. Yeah. Right. There's right. something about that. You know that in between position that I pops know. a little I bit. Know. Right? I know, yeah. I know,
1: and that's what those British guys were giving me credit for. Because without them, I don't know if I'd be talking to you now. Because I was like a unknown. I was there, but I was unknown. And all of a sudden, they start saying we got to find out who Buddy Guy is.
0: You know, because you used to bend those notes out there. Oh, yeah, and, and you oh, know, yeah. it ride the edge, and they're like, "What's that sound?" Oh yeah.
1: yeah. When yeah. did
0: you start though? When did you start real? You know, using the. Uh, uh, Effects or uh, a pedal or you'll know, crank it, it up.
1: It. I don't hardly use that now. You no. know, the only time I use it when I want to let the people know about the late Jimi Hendrix or, or somebody like that. Right. I just try to do each night on my show. Yeah. I just don't I just don't go in the dark. I just let people know who John Lee Hooker was, who I uh, hit a matter of fact I go to the stage uh, night for last. And I would ask the audience, there was a lot of people up there in California, and I said, I don't have to be right, but I want y'all to know, and y'all give me some names, who you think was the best guitar player. And then I'm going to give you my opinion, and I don't have to be right. And they started calling you. I said, no, I'm talking about before me. <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 how about uh, Stevie Ray? I'm talking about before Stevie Ray. How about under uh, this name and name and all? I said, now hold it. Let me give you my opinion. And I hit a note by BB King. And boom, boom.
0: Yeah, and yeah, and John Lee did, like that guy. Like he has his whole own groove. Oh yeah. You had uh, like I listened to that. It's a weird record. That Hooker and Heat record with Can Heat. Yeah. And they're all trying to follow him. Yeah, yeah. it. Yeah,
1: well, yeah. Well, you know, he. <laughs> I'm glad you asked that because you know we was the best of friends, oh, man. Yeah. Before he died. <laughs> And day one when I met him, do you know, I never did not meet him yet. I mean, the first time I met that guy, him and Big Mama Thorne was in Germany. Yeah. and Oh,
0: doing that weird show that they put on TV?
1: I think it, it yeah. might have been that, but I didn't know who he was. And he didn't know who I was. So they were, everybody was still drinking heavy then. Yeah. So my thing was I came downstairs I a little earlier than what me and you talking now. And I said, I just got to meet John Lee Hooker because that's the first thing I taught myself how to play was Booger Children. Yeah. So I walked down to this big table in the morning. It was like a big dinner table. It was eating breakfast, mm-hmm. and everybody was just talking. And Big Mama was a big wise. You know, she had to flow. And I'm yeah. like saying, I just went over in the corner and picked up acoustic guitar like that and started yeah. playing boogie children. Yeah, and a guy came over to me and said, "Who you? Who's you?" And I'm like saying, I don't want to be bothered with you. You can't talk. So I'm trying to get John Lee's attention. (laughs) And he kept messing with me so much. I I, I said, my my name is Buddy. I'm just on the show. I'm trying to meet John Lee Hooker. And he just fell out on his knees and tears started coming out of his eyes. And he didn't say he was John Lee. He said, I'm Johnny. I said, I don't want to meet Johnny. I said, I want to meet John Lee Hooker. And until his death, he 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 laughed about that. <laughs> yeah, you didn't even yeah. know it was him. No, no, because I didn't know you could sing like that and no don't statter as you sing it. And yeah. I used, and after I got to know him as a good friend, when he was trying to tell me something like we talking now, I said, yeah. "Man, don't tell me, sing it." Yeah. I, <laughs> did he? Would he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he would out laugh me because some people would get offended by that. Right. He never did. Yeah. No.
0: Yeah, there's some, like he's one of those guys where it's like he, he invented something.
1: Oh, well, and then he used to show me his hand. A guy was, on, a guy was, what was he? He's standing at the hotel. And I don't know how in the world he saw these calluses on my hand. And he was the elder guy, and this was yesterday. And he says, how long have you been playing guitar? And I looked around at him, you know, I'm like saying, now who are you asking me this question? So my manager was there, you know, and I, and, the point I'm trying to get to, John Lee, because he he's cut his no callus. And right. he looked at me once and said, to feel my hand, is softer than a woman. Yeah, <laughs> I said, say, well, how do you play the guitar? Because he just slapped right. his guitar yeah, right. and played that book right. of children, man. Yeah. You ain't never heard him yeah. squeezing no <laughs> strings or nothing like that. And he would joke, man. And I can tell you another joke. on We was playing in Canada at a blues festival, and it was on an island. And it was light raining. Mm-hmm. So I he hadn't played before me and I'm finna cast the fair and go out there. So I met him. I said, I'm glad I met you, man. I say I now you can tell me what I do if I play boogie or just play some slow blues or whatever whatever they playing out there, let me know what to do. And he looked at me and said, I don't I don't know. I just hit my guitar and said, Now no, no, give me my money. <laughs> 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 Oh, man, I missed that, you know. I, yeah. I really do, man. You know, yeah. they, they, they don't make them like that no more. Yeah. I don't yeah. think that will never be a B.B., Muddy, Wolf Walter, and John Lee now. They could make you forget about it if the promoter didn't pay you. They could make you feel like you got paid. Because mm. you had to laugh at them, whatever yeah. they were doing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: And oh. also, just the, the idea, I don't know what it was really, but it seems like a, a lot of players now, and just in general, that, that they don't they, they can't get to themselves. You, you know what I mean? They get to somebody else, yeah. you know. And the, the style is the style. But you, you know, it seems like you guys and the generation before you, they couldn't help but be themselves.
1: Right, right.
0: And well, I, it, I don't know what that is, but it's I don't great. know.
1: I tried to figure it out. Me and BB, when all of them used to talk when it was in their good health, we just yeah. never could figure out what that is. But yeah. you know. Um, I used to look at them and I thought when I, when I went into Chicago, I'm like saying, all oh, I want to see these beautiful homes or beautiful cars or whatever they yeah. got. And I I remember very well one Monday morning there was a high medical player named Shaky Harden, James Cotton Jr. Wells, and I forget who else a couple more high medical players. And I looked and there was little Walter in the corner, and I looked and I said, let me start some crap here. Yeah. I say, I said, hey man, they. Wanna know why you here? Cause you, they gonna blow you out of here today. Yeah. And guess what he said to what? me? He say, hey man, go buy me a half pint of gin. Let me separate the men from the boys. <laughs> now this is little Walter. <laughs> yeah. And I said, me buy you a half a pint of gin and a half a pint of gin. Back then in nineteen fifty, was ninety eight cents. Yeah. <laughs> and I had about two bucks. I said, you can have both of
2: them. Yeah.
1: And I went to the stage and cranked up. And it was coming up one by one. And when little Walter came up, he started playing something. And I looked at Junior Wells. I said, man, did you hear that? He said, yeah. I said, what did he do? He said, well, you know he plays this hot bottom side up." I said, all y'all should turn the bottom side up."
0: <laughs> that, he played it the other, the other way. Yeah,
1: yeah. He didn't play it straight like like the rest of the and guys. And it seemed did.
0: like he was playing almost like yeah, it. So, uh, it sounds like you know he took a lot from the sax players. Like he I don't know playing, what he did, but yeah. he had
1: that tone, man. Oh, man. Because yeah, I yeah. told my son uh, a week ago, I said just listen at him close, closely, because there's something about what he was doing, and he never did. How to show the harmonica. Right. Most of the harmonica players junior would turn it loose. Sonny yeah. boy Sonny Boy used to go turn it loose and put it in his mouth like this and don't hold it. Right, right. I yeah, even yeah. seen him take it and put it on his on his uh what do you call it? a goozer pipe right here? Yeah. And and you could hear him.
0: Sonny boy. Sonny boy. Well, he he is a showman too, uh-huh. right? He, and like, he
1: could put that harmonica back in his mouth just like a cigar. Yeah. And blow and blow like this microphone yeah. and, 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 and hit the notes right with it. And I'm like saying, Man. Yeah. But that Walter had something, he would hide that harmonica in both hands.
0: And play right up on the mic too. Right. Like, yeah. And
1: every once in a while he would open that hand. Mhm. And it was something when he opened that hand you heard that you didn't when he closed. And, yeah. and I used to tell harmonica players, i say, Watch that, man.
0: That's the tone.
1: Well, that's what I saw, BB, and I said to myself, BB had a rhythm, and that left hand—he yeah. didn't need a special effect, right? Because right. he could vibrate that man on the picky finger. He could vibrate that better than I can with him the rest of the fingers I got. Yeah, and I know a thousand guitar players looked at me and said, "You right?"
0: Yeah, yeah. It just—it's—it's the—it's that unique gift. It's, it's
1: something you have that God gave you that. He didn't give nobody. Else. What was
0: Wolf's? Uh, uh, it, it was. It, was it, it that voice?
1: It's just his voice. Yeah, you know, because first he was just a harmonica player. Then, for the end of his life, he was playing guitar too. Yeah, a lot of people saw that guitar jump out front after Leo and uh, Les Paul. and Them amplified it. Yeah, a lot of people was, was saying, "I need to go to the guitar because the guitar players was, was going." Yeah, are getting paid a little more than the high medical players. Oh, or whatever. right. Once yeah. it
0: once he electrified uh-huh. it, and it, you know, mm-hmm. and then it became mm-hmm. that's the thing people want to see. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. now when these guys, when the when the new guys started coming around, like were you were around then, when uh, Butterfield, Bloomfield,
1: all of them and was those, coming up in Chicago. Yeah, I can make you laugh about that. You yeah. know, when they first start coming it coming up in Chicago to play the blues. The blues clubs then was 99.9 black yeah. people playing blues. When you saw a white face come into a blues club, you say, he's a, that's a cop, and we couldn't afford to buy the drink, So we was, we was buying the, 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 the stinking wine and stuff, and you would hide it because you had to bring it under your coat or something and hide it. And So you would look and see a white face and say, don't pull up that bite of wine because they're going to take it and pour it out. Yeah. So that's a cop sitting over that table, and this yeah. is Michael Bloomfield, uh, uh, Charlie Musselwhite, and all these guys. Eric Clapton and them start coming in, and all of a sudden you get to know them, and now you can tell them what they was doing. i man, you was making me miss drinking my wine. And they, <laughs> was, they were just cracking up, man. I say, I thought you was a policeman, man. I said, no, man, we come here to listen to the blues.
0: So they were learning. They were watching. Uh
1: huh. Michael Bloomfield and Them and I used to see him every time I saw a white face. If he wasn't a cop with the uniform <laughs> on, I'd say, he's a uniform on, I say, he's a detective.
0: He yeah. was an interesting player, huh?
1: Oh man, you know, you know, and his and his dad was a doctor. Oh really? And he, and I found out that his dad didn't really didn't want him to play the the stuff he was doing because he wanted him to, I guess, kind of follow his footsteps because a doctor yeah. back then you know you know you got a chance to make a decent living as a doctor not as a musician yeah sure but his, I guess his dad didn't know soon later music would make more than a doctor yeah if you're lucky enough and good enough
0: yeah yeah and Butterfield he, he I think he oh, learned man. a lot from Walter huh
1: well he could play man you yeah. know let's let's just face it and yeah. then when he left Chicago and come out to California I think he got hooked in the well, back in the sixties, all of them was into a, the a, a little oh, Yeah, yeah,
0: mm-hmm. it killed a lot of them.
1: Uh, you know, I look at it like this: we ain't gonna live always. You know, I looks at them, and they used to try to introduce me to them for something. I just didn't never like it. You know, I ain't never, I ain't never tried the cocaine. Oh, the Grateful Dead made me draw for a reefer in Berkeley, California, one yeah. night. Yeah, and we walk He walked me around behind New the Jerry? Little Blues Club. Uh huh. Yeah. And I draw it off that thing, and he said, Now you're going to play some stuff you never heard. And I said, Okay. And I got in the club, Eric Clapton was sitting out there. And the next day he called me and said, Man, you play some stuff you never heard. I said, You're right. I didn't hear nothing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How'd you get involved with that? I saw you in that movie about that bus, about that Festival Express bus. Well, With that was the, that the guys was, from the band and everybody. Was
1: yeah, all. that was the Janis and uh, uh, the Grateful Dead and all that. That was that guy in Canada, that almost like Sears Roebuck. here, yeah, Eden and Walton. Uh huh. They would rent that train and uh, oh, Montreal, a train. right? Yeah. And it, it, would, it would run all the way across the country. Yeah. to But we never didn't make it to Vancouver. No. They they they, they, they had to towed the train up and uh, drank all the whiskey and smoked all the dope. By the time we got to Winnipeg. <laughs> and that was it? <laughs> that was it. <laughs> yeah, because it was jumping on top of the train, man. It was... If I had to do it, I'd do it all over again. Well, there's that
0: footage of you with that 100-foot wire. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, because they had me. That's why, you know, Mick Jagger <laughs> finally got it, because they had me on a tractor that once, and they lift me up in there on the tractor. Yeah, right that. on the cherry picker thing. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh, yeah, that,
0: that's where Mick got it,
1: huh? Well, I seen him on do that, and oh, he, yeah. had, he had a, 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 a safety belt on him with a chain, yeah. but I didn't have nothing on me on that one, you know?
0: You just had the guitar. You were oh, focused. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, and that's, that's when my youngest brother had just come and joined me, man, and he didn't live, you know, he, like I say, he lived on the, on the 20th of this month, he been gone 11 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So, like, I noticed that, what we it, it's interesting, because, you know, you talk about, you know, getting the respect that you deserve. It seems like it, it, it took a while, but, like, there was a, a period there where did, did you not make records for a, a decade? Like well, from 80 to 90?
1: It was somewhere in there that I went to a guy come from England with a record company called JSP. GS, yeah. And the late Willie Dixon was living and I didn't want to get, I learned my lesson from how the record company was ripping off all the not yeah. just blues, the jazz and everybody else because none of the, you know, none of those guys had a much education as I got. And I don't have a high school education, but I sit back to, and tried to learn for from what I seen was happening to them. Yeah, and I stayed blank there until uh, I think it was JSP. I did one. Then Vanguard came and got me. Yeah, in the sixties, that's when the things come right after the Delmont record. Yeah, and I stayed with Vanguard. It must have been about was it one or two albums? Yeah, because one of them was live in Berkeley. I, I did that and. Uh, and I forget the other one. Then they had a, they made me and Junior do one with a jazz piano player named Junior Mance. Yeah. Uh huh. And all that went on and went on and finally, uh, what was that in uh, nineteen? Must have been eight and nine. Clapton had invited me to the Royal Albert Hall, and that's when a guy come up to me in Royal Albert Hall and said, I want to sign you. And he was British, and I didn't know the record company was in America because all the Americans used to, how old is buddy guy, 99 yeah. years old? And they would say that I didn't give up on him. Yeah. And the first thing I did was went to England and made, and I wrote the damn right I got the blues, and that's when they come back and find out the label was here Yeah. in New York. And they said, I said, oh, man, I thought it was the British label, no, but it was the British guy yeah. who signed me because the British would listen to us more than Americans would so far right. as what we had to offer.
0: Right. And then I, like, I couldn't even find that record, the one that's uh, DJ Play My Blues. Yeah. Yeah. Was that like sort of like that was a—
1: was I that- think that's that, that's uh, I think that is that—I'm not sure on that, I, but I think that might have been the JSP. I might have yeah. did that because that's when he came in, and he was a ripoff, too, because yeah. I'm trying to—we got an attorney in New York, and I'm trying to chase him down. I went to his house 30 years ago in London. Yeah. And he said, I owe you some money, but I ain't checked my books yet. And the record was 20 years old then. I say, when do you check your books? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: but it just seemed like there was a lot of time between them. And then damn right I got the blues. That's the one that blew up.
1: Blew up. That's, that's what took me to my first Grammy.
0: And that was like, you know, how old are you at that point?
1: Oh, that was 19. I think that was 1989 or something like that.
0: That was that guy John Porter,
1: John Porter,
0: because you did a few records with him,
1: yeah, uh-huh,
0: and it's a, and I don't know how much anything influences it because I was looking at his credits, you know he was you know kind of a new wave kind of you know right uh, yeah and and then it, it, you get a couple of guys like that that you work with that that shows I I don't know how the relationship works, but but it does change the sound, doesn't it? when you have a producer, do you, how closely do you work with those guys? you just let them do it.
1: well, you like, you, you you know like I said earlier, I like to listen. Yeah. And I like to listen to you or whoever else can come in and may give me an idea. And it's, it's like if you know you drank too much but you need somebody else to tell you, you don't yeah. need nobody else to tell you. You already know that. But when they tell you, you say, oh, yeah, you're right. You know? <laughs> you're right so that's yeah. what I that's what i was looking at with that. So That's how kind of, it works, huh? Uh-huh.
0: Because you did a few albums with him, and then you know the, and then I guess like it must have changed your whole business, the touring, everything, the Grammy record sales.
1: Well, you know the 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 Grammys and the record sales helps anybody if you can do it, you know. And right now, today, like I said, I talked to BB early on uh, mud and them before they passed away. Blues, and I heard George Benson doing a kind of kind of hardcore blues yeah. lately. Uh, and I'm like saying, blues must be ain't, ain't quite dead yet, because you used to, you know, you used to be so good listening when you would just turn on an AM station before all the big FM stations came in. You could hear Mahalia Jackson. Yeah. You could hear uh, uh Lightning Hopkins, and then you could hear Lou Rawls. I mean, they played everything. Mm-hmm. And now you turn on a radio station, uh, and disc jockeys. I was telling my manager coming in here yesterday. This some of the disc jockeys used to talk for you. Yeah. Just like if BB King would hit a good note, and you hear the disc jockey cut right and say, "Come on, BB," B. and this used to get me, you know. And it was a good, it was a good feeling for them to say that, "Look out, BB," B. Yeah. you know, "Look out, Howlin' Wolf," you know, "Look out, Big Joe Turner," you know. And those little things like that was getting next to me, and that would make me jump and say, "Whatever they did, they made the, they made the dish that I could recognize." It. Yeah, and that's the good. That's the good stuff. Don't happen on that holler anymore.
0: No, and yeah. I think also the blues was like one of those things where there was a certain point it seemed where everybody just tried to play it, like right. you know, you know, every bar band, everybody in the world yeah. that they could do it. But and then. I think sometimes it's good that the music's getting out there, but but then the public gets a sense that well, that's just the blues, and anybody can play it, and then they yeah. forget about the guys that really right. play it, right? Because they always stand out. Oh yeah, you know. But right. like, I can pick up that guitar and play some blues, but you know, who cares? Well, I mean, I like yeah. it, but you know, but the dudes that really, you know, that that stand out, they stand out.
1: Yeah, it's almost like my mom used to tell me, you know, a ladder. It's easy to climb. But she said, if you let one foot slip, your butt is easy to hit the ground. Yeah. you know, And that's the way blues is, man. <laughs> you, know, you know, you luck as the devil in the world if you can hit a record. And and this was happening back then in, in the late 50s and 60s. You could get one book. I remember some blues players had one hit record, and it just bloomed. Never had another one. Right. And and I don't know how that worked, but it, uh, I'm like saying they had a guy called High Heel Sneakers, Tommy Tucker, Leonard Chessman was going crazy, and I think he made one or two more, but it never did get big as that tom- that that first one, High Heel Sneakers.
0: Well, that's the weird thing about hits. Sometimes they will kill you. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And a lot of I guess it seems like, like like what you were saying before is that Chess and those guys at the time. It took them a minute to come around to real blues, and they they were trying to do soul, right? And they were trying to do well, R&B was, music. And, well,
1: they they had the jazz, too. You yeah. know, they, when they got going, they had the Gene Ammons and uh, uh, all the big jazz guys there, man, but they never did let you step in the way of Muddy and Wolf and Walter because that's who opened them up. Yeah. And they was checking on because they was like, it was so bad once that you could go there and open a little label. And right, if, it take off, if it took off, Leonard Chess would come in and say, I'll buy that. Yeah. And, he, and he'd offer you a little money and buy the whole little label from you, and he would take it over.
0: Just to get the artists.
1: Well, at first he had to turn you down, but yeah. he didn't know you could do that. I remember a guy named Bobby Saxon made a, a record called uh, I'm Trying to Make a Living. And, uh, and a black guy would come down on 47th Street and they'd say, oh, this is my record company, he'd put that out on – you could just let one radio station or two radio stations play, and if it took off, Leonard found that out, he was come and find you. Man, I want that record, man. You know, I'd, I'd oh, buy really? it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. But, he,
0: but he didn't have mob connections or nothing, did he?
1: I don't know about the mob connection because, because someone told me even the Cobra record had some connection with yeah. that, but I never did get that deep to find out whether it was or not. But I do know that Duke Records out of Houston. Chess and all of them had something in connection like, like if I screwed up with chess they called it a black ball so Duke right. didn't want me uh, uh, uh. of course back then RCA and those labels like I'm with now they didn't think about no blues Right, you know? cause I, I'm with RCA now and that was a hand me down I bought this label but because this label was the one who signed me, uh, signed me in 89 after Eric Clapton's show yeah, and then uh, I think they might have went out of business. And uh, next thing I know, say you know you would RCA. I said no, I didn't know that.
0: <laughs> yeah, because they bought it. Oh, what yeah. was that show that Eric did? Like twenty three guitar. It was a big uh, guitar show.
1: No, it was uh, the Royal Albert Hall. He did it for I don't know if it was every year, but every every year it was a big thing. He was because he was I think he might have been the only blues guys going and was selling that thing out.
0: You you look at him as the guy that turned it around for you a little bit.
1: Yeah, because yeah. he brought me he brought me in there and when he brought me in and that's when I got signed by the bigger label
0: it's amazing the the lack of respect sometimes because I read years ago I think I read a, a muddy biography that said that uh, chess had him painting the place sometimes early on
1: I didn't never see that yeah because I you know yeah. I, I was in chess studio doing a record called my time after why and the stones come in there to do an audition and they line up in the wall with my Mine was this size, why they would lock me up to sing, but I could look out the window and see the rest of the band. Yeah. And I look, and these guys, was, they stood them against the wall, Mick Jagger uh, uh, and— Keith and, the home, and Bill and, and Bill. Charlie. Yeah. And I'm finna get angry. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they say, that's a Rolling Stone, which wasn't nothing to think about then, just a Rolling Stone. So yeah. Muddy Waters, that helped them brought the instruments upstairs so they yeah. could do their little audition for Chess. Now that's the most, because I, I think they got some uh, clips of paper on, on that now. Yeah. Uh-huh, in Chicago. I had it, but, it, you know, when I get something like that, if some people get a chance, I'll never see it again, because they'll take that.
0: <laughs> that was the first time the Stones came to Chicago and uh-huh. they were watching everybody? Uh-huh, yeah. Did you meet Hendrix? Yeah. Yeah?
1: Do you know the first night I met him, I was in New York, and I was had that wide, long and I was putting on this show, man, and I had a guitar, I think, behind my back. Yeah. And somebody was coming, and we got a clip on that, too, at my club. I think they still got it, and then the reel the reel tape. Oh, really? And he was coming, plugging this tape up reel in the reel, and all I heard was, that's Jimi Hendrix, that's Jimi Hendrix, but I said, so what? Who is Jimi Hendrix, you know? (laughs) And he laughed about (laughs) it before he passed. He said, man... I've been trying to want to see you all my life. I canceled a gig to make sure I catch you tonight. He had a gig that night, and he canceled it so he could come see me play in New York. Yeah. Yeah. Nice guy. Yeah, he was in, all of us into that thing then. Yeah. You know, we never did, like I told you earlier about Muddy and B.B. and about the women. We never did talk about nothing, but it was the music. Yeah. Uh huh. And then half of the time, he was, he was feeling pretty good. So we yeah. didn't ever have one of those conversations But Jim and I, and then I know his dad very well, and, you know, his sister still do the Hendrick Experience shows. Yeah. And we got uh, two of them to do later on this year.
0: And all these guys seem to come and uh, pay their respect now. I mean, you play with, you know, Derek and Keith and yeah, Eric oh, and yeah. Be- uh, Jeff Beck a lot. Oh, yeah. And uh, Billy Gibbons on a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And wh- what do you think of Gary Clark? I've talked to him.
1: Oh, he's a good guy, man. You know, Dude, nice I, oh, yeah, man. Yeah, you know, I, I uh, what was that about? Five or six years ago, I was playing a concert in New York, and he was sitting there. I said, well, man, come on up here and play, you know. <laughs> I know, I don't know if you heard the one, Quinn Sullivan. I found him. He was seven years old, man, and he was playing them Henry's licks like that at seven. Wow. You got to check him out. Quinn Sullivan. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's great. Just check him out, and if, if if you can pull him up, he was seven. Yeah. And I'll call a kid up a little, you know, if the little girl, boy, and sometimes they will hit one or two notes, and i say, thank you. When he came up, I couldn't get rid of him, man, because he was playing like Hendrix. He was playing BB. He was playing me. He was playing everybody. Like what a, is that? I don't know. This is this is something you can't teach. No, I know. That's but there's a few years. of them
0: around. Derek's that way, too. They're just yeah. these prodigies. Oh, yeah.
1: They? Yeah. You can't teach that what they got. You know, you can learn. But when you catch him that Young already playing like that, that's not that's just that's just some god gifted talent,
0: so yeah, it's like magic, and, oh, yeah. and you play with Kim Wilson too on the harp. oh
1: a lot of time you know when I first started going to Texas, I was just back to the old conversation when I'm from Louisiana, we used to could pick up some of the radio station coming out of Texas and old yeah. country and western, Eddie Arnold, and people like yeah. that, the horseback wrestling movies with the acoustic yep. guitar and uh, when I first went down in Austin, Texas, and I'm like saying, now who's this, including Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. And I'm playing the blues, and a guy on the club, uh, Clifford Anton passed away as a white guy, and he was just sitting there smiling because he knew I, I'm like, what? blues being white by playing by a white man in Texas? Yeah. What is this? And B- you got to hear B.B. King singing about Johnny Williams. He say what well, he- he was down there, he called Johnny up, he said, no, this is not a white guy playing like this. <laughs> yeah. Especially the blues, you know. Yeah,
0: and Jimmy's good, too, Jimmy Vaughn.
1: Oh, uh, Jimmy's on the show with me tomorrow. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. talked to
0: Jimmy, he's great.
1: Oh, man, yeah, him and his little family, man. You know, his wife, he got two uh, daughters, teenagers now. And I think I introduced him to his wife. He got now. Oh wow! Oh you, yeah. Well,
0: I will tell you, man, it's uh, it's been great talking to you. It's well, thank
1: a, you so much for having uh, me.
0: A real honor, and you know, and uh, and uh, are you back in the studio soon, or what are you gonna do? Well, I
1: think they got me coming in November, and you know, I'm always surprised when the record comes like RCA said, "Can we get him back in?" I said, "Yo, I must have broke even. Uh, <laughs> the blues record must have made y'all feel like I, <laughs> you didn't lose nothing on me, because I'll be looking for that red pink slip every time." I finished the album, and it's time for another one. I'm waiting to say, well, he's not doing well, so we can't record you no more. But uh-huh. they didn't actually they, they didn't ask for, it, I think like three or four, or five months ago. When when not we get him back in the studio? So we planned it. I think sometime in November.
0: Who's your favorite guy other than your own songs? Who whose songs you like playing the best? Because you play a lot of people's songs.
1: I like Muddy, you yeah. know. I, I, you know, I like Muddy and BB. That, yeah. that, that's not a night pass. I won't hit that lake, and that's not uh, very few nights. I won't just say here's a a Jimmy Hendrix, and then I will get up there and say now. I got to thank the British because here's what they were playing and brought it back to you because you didn't know who Muddy Waters was until the Rolling Stones came here on a television show called Shindig. Yeah. And they was trying to get the Stones to do it. And Mick Jagger said, I'll do it if you let me bring Muddy Waters. And white America said, who in the hell is that? Yeah. And he said, you mean to tell me you don't know who uh, uh, Muddy Waters is? And we named ourselves out of his famous record, Rolling Stone. Yeah. And people, some people like said what? You know, and it's true. Yeah. Because that's what they named themselves out that's of Muddy's right. Rolling Stone. Yeah.
0: Well, now I want to come. Do you, are there tickets?
1: Oh, we'll get to we'll talk to the manager when, when, when we get out
0: here. I'm excited. All right, yeah, buddy. Thanks, You got buddy.
1: it.
0: Buddy Guy. Love it. Love the stories. Really great to talk to him. Currently on tour around the country. You can get all his tour dates at BuddyGuy.net. The most recent album is The Blues is Alive and Well, but go back and listen to some of that chess stuff. Listen to some of his early stuff. Now I'm going to play my Stratocaster through an echo box.